Welcome to our February podcast episode. Today, experienced drama teacher and Open Drama UK champion for the South West, Ali Warren, interviews Matthew Nichols about his new book, The Drama Teacher's Survival Guide. So, sit back, grab a cuppa, and enjoy our first ever episode of Half Hour Call. And hello, here we are for our first podcast for Half Hour Call for Open Drama is very exciting and today I'm going to be joined by Anthony Nichols who is here principally to talk about his new book the exciting and interesting uh, drama teacher survival guide which is very very uh, good and I've thoroughly enjoyed it um, but let's find out a little bit about Matt before we talk about Matthew about before we talk about the book um, okay so here's the questions I always ask some of my sixth formers when I first meet them who's your favorite actor and why Am I only allowed one? Okay. No, you can have more than one. I'll, I'll oh, right. Okay. But let's not, that we're, I don't want to talk about it all evening. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, so, um, Sean Penn, um, Leslie Manville, um, Sheridan Smith, uh, Michaela Cole, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, Richard Burton. Oh, there's loads, really. That's not giving you a very clear answer, is it? But all of those people, I, I, I'd, I'd watch anything they were in. Okay. All right. Do, do, why? Why is that? I think I just, they all manage to do that thing where you, you can't see the joins, you know, you can't see the clockwork. You can't see the, um, you can't see the machinery at work behind the acting. It's just completely gone mm -hmm. into the character. Whereas if I watch somebody like Jim Carrey, who's a brilliant actor, great comic performer, but you can see how technical that work is and how clever, but I can see it all. Whereas if I watch, um, and even if I watch some like great Shakespearean actors, you can see the sort of, you can hear the iambic pentameter, you can hear the, the Rada training. Whereas with, those, <laughs> with the ones I've just said, I just see the person they're being, and they've got such range as well. Like okay, all right, next question. All right. What was the dramatic event? And I, I started doing this. I used to say, what was the play that you saw that, that, that made you want to live in this particular world? But I've learned over the years of talking to students. I can answer that as a play. That, well, sometimes with students, they say, oh, it was the time when this happened in the drama studio. Okay. Um, so I don't do that anymore. But if it was a play, what was the yeah, play that really turned you on to the whole thing? I went to see a play with my mum because her friend was in it um, and it was The Birthday Party by Pinter and I didn't really like the theatre. I was about 16. I was on study leave for GCC for about 16. I didn't really like theatre. I thought it was a bit boring. I'd only ever seen pantomimes and musicals, I think. And so I was dragged to see this and I loved films. I absolutely loved films, movies. And I remember going to see The Birthday Party and I thought Act One was incredible because it's got all this set up you don't know who these people are you don't know why they're there you don't know what they want and I remember saying to my mom in the interval oh my oh it's incredible you know all these things we're going to find out in act two and of course it's Pinter you don't you are none the bloody wiser by the end and I thought <laughs> it was brilliant and I didn't know plays could do that yeah yeah and I remember the second significant experience was going to see 
what would be Mark Raven, uh, Mark, Mark Stafford Clark's first production of Shopping and Fucking. About a yeah. year after, I was, I, I just started doing an A level in drama, and my parents took me, and it started with this loud techno music, and people were walking out in disgust, and I was so shocked in a good way <laughs> because I didn't know you could do those things on stage I didn't know theatre could do that it was like being awakened to the possibilities of what theatre could do yeah I saw it when it was on tour in the theatre royal in Bath can you imagine how that went down <laughs> well I I think it's probably the same tour in about 1998 yeah that'd be right with Charlie Condu in it and uh yeah, well, this was in Manchester, and because there's an anecdote in the play where the characters, it's a really salacious anecdote about Princess Diana and Sarah Ferguson, and I, she'd been dead about six months, Princess Diana. Obviously, the play was written before she died, and there were people getting up and walking out and, and, and doing quite a big I am walking out yeah. performance, <laughs> quite a Jim Carrey walking out performance. <laughs> So tell me about the book. How did the book come about? What's, what's, what's the genesis of that? Because it's not like any other drama book that I've come across and I've been doing this a long time now. <laughs> well, I think, and thank you for saying that, and that's really good because um, it's meant to be the book that doesn't exist, well, until it's published, until now. So um, it's called The Drama Teacher's Survival Guide and it's out on the 11th of February. And it came about because about five years ago I was working for one of the exam boards um, in my time I've worked for three of them and taught all four so I'm clearly you know very brand loyal and um, I was I was doing a conference I was doing an expo in London and I didn't know at the time there were representatives from all the boards and I didn't know at the time it was being filmed and live tweeted or I might have worn different clothes and said slightly different things but a lady came up to me afterwards with her card and she said, oh, have you ever thought about publishing? And that's my editor, Anna, at uh, Bloomsbury. And so I started working as a series editor, which I still do. So you know these student editions of plays that you get? Yeah. So there's a team of us that work with the authors who, who write the commentaries at the beginning. And so and my focus is secondary drama. And about a year into that, she sort of said, have you thought about writing a book? And I said, no. <laughs> and she said, well, have a think. And so I went away and I wrote a really, really clever pitch. And I, I wrote it mostly on trains. I was doing a lot of traveling to the exam board at that time. And I sent it to her and it got rejected outright by, by the board I worked for. Um, and then I wrote another one, which was much narrower. I think I tried to sort of, I don't know, write a, propose a book that would cover everything ever to do with drama. And then I came back with this book, which essentially my editor, she said to me, it's not a textbook and where well, you can't hear the author's voice. This should be a book that's almost like a chatty paperback. It should have anecdotes and jokes. You should be able to hear your voice. What book would you want to write if you could give it to your former self at the beginning of your teaching career, but also give it to, like you, Ali, experienced drama teachers who've been doing this a long time to say, look, our profession is always having to fight for itself here's why we do it maybe here's some ideas about how we do it that was the thing that really struck me about it was it felt like a, a chatty conversation with a fellow drama teacher the kind of thing that you do over the sandwiches 
at a board meeting or on those very rare moments you get to do a training day mm. that we always we kind of fall into anecdotage it's it's one of the things drama teachers do but out of that comes the recommendation to do this or my experience is that or here's a play that I really love that works with my students every yeah. single time um and those that that kind of thing it feels very much like that and um, I, I I agree and I think there is such solidarity in the in the drama teaching community and through the work that I've done with boards and you know I still work freelance as a consultant with schools and colleges and sometimes theatres I've met so many drama teachers and like you say on those courses we always spend the breaks and the lunches when I say talking shop not in a boring way no. but I think it's people lifting each other up have you tried this text do you know that my head of department won't do this well my senior management are awful etc etc um not mine obviously and um and I think every year I was when I used to do examining when you know going into schools and marking practical work every single year I would come away with new plays new ideas new approaches to practitioners and that's still the case I've still I've just I've got two trainees um, who I'm mentoring at the moment, PGC trainees, I'm who have been doing remote learning out of necessity at the moment, and I'm learning things from them. Mm. It, it never stops. Yeah, it's one. It's one of my, anybody who knows me will know that one of my obsessions when I'm organising a course is that there's a good lunch, and that lunch has to last an hour, because yeah. drama teachers are so often isolated, and that you know they're one man bands in their own in their own little corner. And drama is so unique in the education world that it has its own particular problems that when they get when people get together with a bit of cake yes. <laughs> and a nice cup of tea, then they are able to download a lot of that stuff to each other. And I think that's really important. And if if the book feels like that, I think that's a really good thing. And I oh, good. I mean, how, who do you who who do you see as your audience for this book? I mean, who do you imagine keeping this Every, on their shelf? Everyone who bought a Harry Potter book should buy three copies of it. Um, <laughs> and Fifty Shades of Grey. No, um, although there will inevitably be some crossover there. Um, it, it's sort of twofold, really. It's I think it's principle. It's aimed at people who teach drama in in secondary schools in the English system that might be abroad internationally or, or predominantly in England but that's not to say if you're working in Scotland or Wales where I know the systems can be slightly different it wouldn't it wouldn't appeal I mean I think for anybody doing initial teacher training or you know training for a PGC or or an equivalent you know to get to become a teacher I hope it would be really really useful for them to understand a little bit about the history of the profession of our profession of our subject in the profession and I'd also think that for an experienced drama teacher, whatever stage you're at, um, it, it would it might revitalise you or give you some, or maybe even some reassurance. I think so much of the time, you know, I've been I've been teaching for 16 years, and I've I've always been in a situation where I've always had departmental colleagues. I still need reassurance all the time about what I'm doing, and I know the people I go to to get that. And I think maybe if the if the book does a bit of that. I mean, I'd love some senior managers in schools to read the book and go, ah, that's why the drama department needs to take them out of school to go to the theatre. That's why the drama department needs to be off timetable to do this practical exam, you know? Because I don't always know if 
senior leadership teams in schools truly understand, like you say, you know, the uniqueness of the subject, the amount of work a drama teacher has to do just for a practical exam to, to take place, mm, for example. Yeah. So let's, fo let's focus on a couple of things that you talk about in the book um, specifically. One of the sections when you, you talk about devising, you mentioned that you've got a list of band themes. Now, I'm pretty certain that every drama teacher or with some experience has got their own list. Um, have you added to your list since you wrote the book? Um, I probably, well, I mean, the book was, the book was finished uh, two weeks before the first lockdown. So, I mean, I, and I should point out, it's not a book for lockdown. It's not a book about remote teaching. It's a book about drama teaching. No. I hopefully, hopefully now is just a bit of a glitch and we'll move on. And yeah, yeah. Get back we, into the yeah, studio I, and onto a stage. But We will, fingers crossed. By September, maybe, I'd like to think. But, I mean, my bad list of devising suggests I would probably add Brexit to it now. Uh, Trump um and covid i think brexit I think probably... was already i think brexit was already on it but oh was it yeah See, i think that's so. how tired i was of brexit <laughs> um but trump would go to it and covid and anything associated with covid i think there's going to be a lot of covid pieces out there for a couple of years i know i know it sounds a bit mean but i worked in sixth form colleges for the, the first six years of my teaching career where i was teaching BTEC and a levels and doing a lot of devising with large groups and so I did so you know there were a lot of pieces set in mental institutions and that's absolutely fine I mean I suppose the originality is original as the students see it not as I see it but I do think there are some limitations to you know students rolling around on the floor scratching at the forearms in in white clothes and, and screaming yeah I did a, um, a sixth form um, student devising festival uh, a few years, a good few years ago now, actually. Um, and at one point, the uh, the chief tech at this theatre where we were doing this came trotting up to me and shook my hand and he said, thank you. And I said, what? He said, your play doesn't have Mad World in it. Every single <laughs> other piece of the, that Six One had produced had some kind of action or physical theatre where they were just using it to top and tail the piece. To Mad Absolutely. World. Um, I remember that era. I remember it when my, it was either Mad World or that massive attack piece from Mezzanine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or um, Angel. Oh, was it Angel? Angel. <laughs> that's it. Or the thing from the Matrix soundtrack. Or, you know, you just, the, the, yeah, but Mad, uh, Mad World would go on the list. Mad World should be on the list. Yeah. <laughs> but it, well, you're right. You're right. It became. There, thing, there are some pieces it? of music that you you want to you don't want to see or hear um and i think th this poor guy had basically been it was a weekend festival so he'd done friday night and saturday and we came in on the sunday so he'd done about 12 pieces by that point and was seeing another six that day and so he'd, he'd listened to mad world till he was sick of it but um, i did a gcse i, did, I examined the gcse center a few years ago and they had about eight to kids it was a huge center and they put them all in groups of four and they were all doing shakers by John Godber even the boys the boys weren't doing bounces the boys were doing shakers <laughs> I couldn't work out why but hey ho fine but every piece was exactly the same extract and every piece started with that opening 
um, burst of Cindy Lauper's Girls Just Want to Have Fun. And it's sort of the song that you loved at nine o'clock in the morning, you didn't realise that you didn't need to hear it 30, 40, 50 times that day. <laughs> you just want, again, you know, by the end of the day, I'd have cheerfully banned that song. Although I love that song, I'd have banned that song. Um, and are there any themes that when students come up with them, you secretly rub your hands together with glee and go, yes, they're onto something? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you wouldn't ever My tell them to do it, but... What would no, that... my, my, my current GCSE group in year 10 have all somehow initially landed on really good ideas. And I don't, and you know, when you sort of, you know, those films where you see people tiptoeing backwards from a bomb because you don't want to, you don't want it to go off. You don't want to upset it. And being a bit like that with them and their devising, I think <laughs> this is a good idea. And I don't want it to go wrong. Keep going. Sometimes inevitably as part of the devising process, you have to let them pursue a little bit of something that you know isn't going to work for them to understand why that doesn't work so they can move on to something that does but at the moment I've got a group where um I hope I'm not jinxing it by saying it but my year tens have actually all come up with some stuff where I've gone oh yeah that's not a bad idea at all that's one of the joys though isn't it that's one of the joys of the job mm. oh absolutely yeah. I remember I think I talk yeah. about it in the book going to a sixth form centre as an examiner or when, when I was a moderator when they used to have moderators for an A-level piece and you know they, uh, uh, do you know that you used to show your top and your bottom pieces yeah your, your highest mark and your lowest mark yeah. she showed me the first piece and she'd said it was the lowest mark and it was brilliant it was really good and I just checked with her when we were marking I said and that's your lowest and she went yeah right and then we went to the highest mark and she said They've used DV8 and, um, and it's verbatim. And I thought, well, this is, this is a recipe for disaster, isn't it? <laughs> and um, it was and remains. I had to go and have a cry in the car park afterwards. It was phenomenal. It was absolutely phenomenal. I'll never forget it. I, I had to compose myself before we could sit and mark it. And it was flawless, basically. Mm -hmm. I, and, and so you do see stuff. I oh, think, yeah, yeah. Are there other subjects that have those moments of joy? I don't know because I don't teach them, but that was a treat. You're very optimistic in the book about drama teaching and about drama as a subject. Um, is that is that you? Is it where you thought the book should be going? Is it what you think drama teachers need to hear? I think it's all of those things. First of all, it's definitely me. Because there are sometimes, I think we as a, we as drama teachers do not always um, help ourselves. We don't always make life easy for ourselves. You know, I see drama teachers scrabbling together to do a production with no remission from their timetable and no, no budget from their school and no support from their colleagues. And I think, if you do that, that makes that okay. And I'm aware that I have been that person as well. And I, I have done that. And we all of us need to make sure that we have the faith and, and the respect for our own subject in, it, in the profession. And that, that's where that optimism comes from, I think. But it's also 
at times to sort of to stand your ground um so that it, look we're all i've been doing this for 16 years and it's all you know i've seen the way the political winds change with drama and with education and i've seen reforms come and go and i'm now seeing things coming back into teaching that were new innovations when i started teaching that have gone and have come back in you know like when they used to recast somebody in neighbors and it was a different actor you know, they are still <laughs> It's still the same character, but it's a different act. I've seen this before. Um, we have to keep demanding that students are given a proper education in drama. We have to. They deserve it. It's essential. They're entitled to it. I believe that. I really do. And how do you, how how do you think we should do that? I mean, I think some of it is it is it's like micro and macro, isn't it? Some of it is happening at a level that is perhaps beyond our day-to-day -day control and that we are at the whim and the mercy of uh, uh, politicians, governmental policy and educational policy. But at the start of the book, I, I talk about the national curriculum and why I believe it's a good thing. Ultimately, the drama isn't on the national curriculum, certainly in England, and that we have to make the case for our subjects in our schools. We have to be rigorous about it. We have to design and provide first-rate drama education and I'm aware that that's a lot and that's hard and that's stressful but at its best moments like we were just saying before it's a joy to do it and a privilege at times to do it but we we have to think it through we and we have to keep our subject knowledge up to date that's one of my slight bugbears I, I sometimes see people on social media asking for recommendations of plays and I think I don't know how to recommend a play for you when I don't know the student you're talking about. Yeah. And then the other thing I think is when I see all the recommendations that pour in is that 75% of them, let's say, are the same plays that were being recommended for me when I was doing those qualifications over 20 years ago. And our subject is connected to, to an actual art form and a, a continuum, and I know at the moment theatres are shut, but a continuing developing art form. And I think we have to continue our professional development in line with, with theatre as well. Are you advocating that drama teachers should go to the theatre without kids? Yes, absolutely. Or if they can't, read plays. You know, like if they can't get to the theatre, then they should read the plays. Or they should be reading theatre blogs or theatre reviews just so that they know what's what's going on and and what's coming up and why things are good and you know you can get hold of plays really cheaply secondhand often and if you can't get to the theatre because of either where you live or finances or because you've got two kids and or three kids, I don't know kids to put to bed at night and and can't get to babysitter and it's expensive I get that but you could read a play. And I know it's not the same as going to see it, but I think we should be engaged with our profession and know the, the plays and the theatre makers and the theatre companies that are emerging and, and evolving. And that's not to say we can't ever do the old favourites, but I think we owe it to our students to keep, keep tuned in to what's going on. Um, well, I'm afraid we are coming to the end of our time together. So I've got I've got one one big last question for you. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, 
what made you become a drama teacher? And if you weren't a drama teacher, what would you want to be? <laughs> oh, that's a big question. Okay, so what happened was um, I went to, I did A-levels at school and I loved doing drama. Suddenly I loved doing drama. It became my favourite A-level. I didn't do it for GCSE. I wasn't allowed to. And then I wanted to apply to do drama at university. And this is the honest truth. My school wouldn't let me. Um, now so, I can do that. <laughs> yeah. So they made me apply to do English, which I didn't want to do. So I took a gap year and stubbornly and I applied in my gap year to drama schools which was an absolute lost cause because I'd have, I'd have worked for about three minutes as an actor um and then I went to do drama at university and I loved it I had the best best time but also by the end of it when everybody else was then applying to drama schools and you know doing I was sort of done I didn't like it I'd had enough I thought enough drama so I went and I got myself a job a proper proper office job on a graduate training program I got myself some new suits and I felt very, very, you know, I bought, bought books about sales and I'd done temp jobs and I'd thought, in, in, you know, when I was a student and I'd always thought they were rubbish because they were temp. And when I started this job, I realised that I'd not enjoyed those jobs because that's what the job was. It was sitting at a desk and answering the phone and I hated it. So after a week, I thought, what job could I do where I might be able to use my degree and, and not be sitting at a desk all day? And on the Friday night, after my first week of working my big fancy job, my mum phoned me and I, she said, how did it go? And I said, terrible. I think I'm going to go and train to be a drama teacher. And she said, well, me and your dad will come and take me out for lunch tomorrow. And they drove to Birmingham where I was living to sit me down. And they were both teachers about to retire to say, you must not become a teacher. <laughs> so I ended up teaching unqualified for two terms by accident in a secondary school that was about to go into special measures and I loved it I absolutely loved it it was hard but I loved it and then I did my PGCE and I loved it and I suddenly realized that I'm lucky enough to get to use my degree but I also love being part of the drama teaching community and I do think it's a privilege to be involved with, with educating a child I really really do and I do what you know I do bits and bobs of other things now publishing freelance stuff but ultimately it is the best part is being in a drama studio with the kids or doing a production or you know that's the stuff that I love and and just always have done and what job would I be doing oh well it wouldn't be a sales role yeah. it wouldn't be a sales role at a desk in an office I don't know really um Sometimes I, I have those moments when it all gets very stressful, you know, near exams and when you only ever see like your house at, at, in, in darkness because you're getting home late and, you, you know, you're, it's you and the cleaners waving at each other as you leave. And I think if I was running a bar on a beach, would it be easier? So maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe it's it's something like that. I don't know, but, but, but I, I still... You know, at the end of the day, I still do love it. It's still a really rewarding profession because, and I think we, oh, I think we're going to need it in the next few years like we never needed it before. Yeah, yeah, I think you're probably right there. So maybe not when you've everybody who bought a copy of Harry Potter buys a copy of the book, you're going to sell up and go and open a bar on a beach somewhere. 
I mean, it would have to it would have to be on a Harry Potter level of sales to do that. And I, and I don't think any <laughs> I don't think anybody thinks that's going to happen, least of all me. But um, for now, it, it, it's um, it's still it's still teaching, and I still love, even though it's remote at the moment. I'm so looking forward to getting back into a studio, and um, actually being able to do, in inverted commas, normal drama teaching, and and hopefully, the book will help and support people now and, and going forward. Well, that's a good note to end on. So um, thank you, Matthew Nichols, and best of luck with the book. And um, I can't recommend it enough. I really enjoyed it. Oh, thank, thank you. you very much, Ali. It's been an absolute <laughs> pleasure. Thank you. Matthew's book has launched and it is now available to purchase. And until May the 1st, as an Open Drama UK subscriber, you have access to a 20% discount. So read our latest mail out for that discount code. You can follow Matthew on Twitter at Matthew underscore drama. So if you want to tweet him any further comments or questions, we're sure he'd be pleased to hear from you and to be able to answer those questions. Coming up in our March episode is an interview between Open Drama UK's Holly Baradell and Chris Tyndall. They will be talking all about technical theatre and his role as a technical theatre manager. And now he is now the Open Drama UK technical advisor. So we look forward to you joining us next month. <laughs>